Welcome to Dream Makers, a gathering of change makers, visionaries, and interesting people who happen to enjoy drinking wine together. I'm your host, Neha Sampat, a serial entrepreneur, a certified sommelier, hence the wine, and founder and CEO of Content Stack, a modern technology stack for all of your digital content. I named my podcast after my leadership team at Content Stack, who I happen to call Dream Makers. This is a group of individuals that I've had the privilege of building a company with. Learning from regularly, together we've challenged ourselves to be better at what we do, we challenge each other, and we do more for our employees, customers, and partners as a result. Most importantly, we often find ourselves challenging the status quo, and that's what this podcast is all about. Today, I am joined by a woman with an incredible amount of passion for equality, a true champion of women, Melinda Garvey. Hey, Melinda. Hey, good to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. So Melinda is a founder of Austin Women Magazine, running 18 years strong in Austin, Texas, as well as On The Dot, a tech platform dedicated to providing connection, content, and mentors to individuals inside organizations to build better networks and careers, and for companies to help drive an inclusive workforce. As a community leader, Melinda is a powerful contributor to many Austin-based organizations and serves as a mentor to young organizations and businesses. Luckily, I've got a chance to know Melinda for a little while, and I know that she shares my love for wine. So we will start with my favorite way to kick off an interview, which is what's in the glass. <laughs> so Melinda and I both have the same bottle since we don't have the privilege of sitting next to each other today. This is the closest we can get. We've got a bottle of Frank Family Vineyards 2018 Carneros Pinot Noir. For those of you that are listening to audio only, you won't be able to see that we're holding up the label right now but we will have it in the credits and you'll get a chance to take a look at that. And we're going to taste this wine together. Mm, so only yeah, that. Can't wait. Cheers. Cheers. This is actually one of my favorite parts of being a sommelier running a business is being able to incorporate wine into these types of conversations and use it as an excuse to enjoy beautiful wine. <laughs> any excuse, <laughs> any excuse. I'm there with you. And I usually get to meet really interesting people as a result because interesting people love good wine. There you go. So Frank Family Vineyards is in Napa. I think, Melinda, you've actually visited, have you not? I have. I've been there. It's one of my favorite wineries. I, I love it. I love the Frank Family Chardonnay is one of my favorite because I love the big, kind of the, the big oaky Chardonnays, lots of malolactic fermentation. How's that? Malolactic very good. Fermentation. Are you impressed? I'm very impressed. I, I was practicing that ahead of time for you. <laughs> So, so what Melinda is referring to, let me just kind of explain what that means. So malolactic fermentation is the process of transferring that acid, that flavor in the wine that's acidic into something that's a little bit more lactic. So malolactic is that secondary fermentation of changing that lot of, uh, acidic, lot of acidic to butter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, keep going. The, the, the butter, the more butter, the better. I love, I love the oak and butter combination anyway. But um, I was just going to say too that you know, this Pinot Noir is from Carneros, which is one of my favorite areas. It's like the, it's like the thing that it's the area that connects Napa and Sonoma, but it's so pretty. And the wineries there are just, um, I don't know, just really fun to go visit down there and always produce like some of my favorite Chardonnays. Certainly, you know, Carneros is known for Pinot Noir and, you know, and they're nice, big, they're not those thin Pinots, you know, I don't know, I don't know the, the formal tech tech term for that, but I love the kind of bigger, yeah, bigger mouthfeel. 
So exactly. So that's, we call it body. And when you think about the ABCs of wine, it's acidity, which you covered with the fermentation, the malolactic fermentation and that, and that shift to butter. And then the B is body, which is really about the structure of the wine and the mouthfeel. And then the C is complexity, which is really all about the taste and how you evaluate the wine. So that's the ABCs of wine, which we've covered in the first 45 seconds of this conversation. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Look how much we're learning. And I was like, <laughs> this is delicious. I have not had, I might've had, I might've tasted it when I was at the vineyard. I can't remember because it was a few years ago, but I have not purchased this. I often purchase, purchase the Frank family cab and the Frank family Chardonnay, but this is now going on my list. This is beautiful. It's a beautiful pinot. It absolutely is. And the thing about Carneros, you mentioned how beautiful it is. There's a lot of fog and wind and it's close to the Pacific Ocean. So you get that that sort of coastal air, which makes it a really great area to grow vines that have maybe delicate grapes like a Pinot Noir. But it also means that you get less yield. So you will find that some of these wines might be a little bit more expensive. This bottle runs about $35 um, and it's fairly accessible. We can find it at the local Total Wine or BevMo or online at whitewine.com. So enjoy and we'll continue to visit the, the wine as we go. Um, yep. But what I'm getting right now is a little bit of like, you know, really red ripe fruit, some cherries and pomegranate. Um, I actually like in my first, when I first opened the bottle and I stuck my nose in, I got raw almonds and I thought that was kind of unique. Do you find anything else that stands out? I don't know why, but I feel like I, it's like a little vanilla or something. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't and that's like that, that a little bit of the, the oakiness that comes across in, in the wine from that area. Yeah, but okay, it's very smooth. I mean, it really, smooth. you know, very smooth and I like it. You know, it, it would, it's definitely a wine that would stand up to food. Sometimes a Pinot Noir can be, you know, pretty light depending on the area where you get it. Very, very, very light bodied. But this really has kind of a, just a bigger kick to it. It's got a punch for sure. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And it should open up a little bit more and we might be able to get a, detect different flavors or different aromas as we go. So we'll come back to the wine or revisit it, as we say in in wine language. But I want to jump in to learn a little bit more about Melinda and her journey. Um, I got I got to meet Melinda, I think it was probably three years ago, maybe more, at a conference in San Antonio, Texas. And we hit it off and we stayed in touch. And I recently, actually almost exactly a year ago, moved to Austin, Texas. And so Melinda welcomed me with open arms and introduced me to her tribe. And she's been an incredible ally just for me to feel welcome and at home in a new community after 20 years of being in San Francisco. So Melinda, I thank you for that. I don't know if I've ever said thank you, but um, you know. No need to thank. I love it. I've told you when I met you, like I collect people. It's like my, my little specialty. <laughs> it's you a know? superpower for sure. <laughs> you know, I like when you said you're moving here, I'm like, oh, <laughs> fresh so, is what I call it. Fresh meat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, it's it's awesome. And and you do tend to rally a lot of people. And I've been able to witness that in the last few months. But I'd love to hear a little bit more just about your journey in general. And then if you can kind of lead us to how you how and why you founded Austin Women. And tell us a little just about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, ironically, that we, you know, that we are drinking wine tonight, because um, it really started over a few too many glasses of wine, literally. I was in one of those jobs where it was really, really great on paper. Probably some of you listeners out there have had one of those maybe um, <laughs> where everything looks great. The pay is great, you know, da, da, da. But it was just like horrific. And it was sort of this weird point in my career. I'd had this great career trajectory 
And it's, it's like, I just landed. I actually moved to Austin for this job and I wanted to be in Austin. And it was like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. They gave me an apartment, et cetera. Well, long story short, after about eight months, I was absolutely miserable. And it was really the first time in my career I'd sort of hit that roadblock. So it was sort of weird for me, you know, and I was 10 plus years into my career. So this wasn't like, oh, you know, your first job, you don't like it. And I was out with some girlfriends one night drinking a few glasses of wine, as you do, and um, just lamenting about what was I going to do next. And I literally, one of my friends turned to me and she's like, hey, I just got back from Des Moines, Iowa. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is my pity party. And we're going to talk about Des Moines, freaking Iowa, like of all places. But I was like, absolutely, by all means, tell us about your trip. And she said, well, there was this really cool magazine there called Des Moines Woman. And, you know, no one's talking about women in this town. And you have some kind of publishing background thing. Haven't you done something like that? You should start a magazine. And I can tell you, I can remember like it was yesterday. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. I was just like, what? Like, I had never thought about starting my own business. Ever, never. I liked the whole corporate 401k. Do my, I didn't, I, it, I didn't have entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship was not a hip, sexy word that it is now and super cool. I was like, yeah, no. And, but I just, I have to tell you, and it was really a God moment for me because I knew, I can't, I knew in that moment, that's what I was supposed to do. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> what do you mean this is what I'm supposed to do? Sometimes you just know, you feel it. Like literally you said you had goosebumps. Yeah, yeah I did. I felt it. And yeah. the thing is, it's not like, you know, I had been this big feminist. I always have been supportive of women. I'd always brought women together. I'd always been, you know, my, and some of you will not know this reference, but Julie McCoy, the cruise director uh, from, from the love boat of the seventies. Yes. <laughs> love. Exciting and new. But I'd always been, you know, my friends, my college friends would joke like, oh, Julie McCoy, she's pulling everybody together. I'd always sort of had these tribes of women and, and just really thrived on that. But I was instantly passionate and I knew that I could make an impact. And so I literally got up the next morning. Admittedly, I took a couple of Advil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And I started writing a business plan. And seven months later, in September of 2002, I launched the first issue of Austin Woman. And it was it was just really amazing. A friend of mine who lived here in Austin actually jumped on board and helped me co-found it. It was really like, she was just like my rah-rah cheerleader, like, I'll do this with you and helped. And we both put some money in and off, off we went. And it, it's really been an incredible, incredible journey. And it's hard to believe that it's been 18 years. 18 years. That's amazing. And, and yeah. a publication for 18 years, that's, that is a lifetime to see a publication continue to flourish for that long especially something that new. Yes. I, you know, it, and it look, <laughs> I tell everybody, I was like, you know, this ain't no get rich quick scheme, number one, you know, and it, there's, it's, it's always a roller coaster. And I think that, you know, for a while I was like, okay, when is it, when are you going to be able to get off this roller coaster? And what I've realized over the years, and I tell people, especially people who are, you know, oh, I think I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a business. I was like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about like, what do you think this looks like? You know, and I think a lot of people expect that, you know, ups and down the craziness in the beginning. 
But what I have realized, and you know, at, you know, even over 18 years, I mean, look at COVID. I mean, yeah. who, who would have thought? I mean, you are on the roller coaster all the time. Yeah. And what I say to people is, it, it's kind of like this term. I was an English literature major. And there's a literary term that's called willing suspension of disbelief. And if you don't, like if you watch a James Bond movie and you don't willingly suspend your disbelief, you're going to go, that couldn't happen. No right. way they have a car that does that. You wouldn't enjoy a bit of it, right? So I sort of look at it like <laughs> that. You have to you have to set your expectations. So I know that being an entrepreneur means I will always be on the roller coaster. There will never be a time I can get off the roller coaster, period, end of report. There is there is no exit. But what I can strive for is the kitty coaster. So sometimes there are times when you have you know, a little fun one that just makes your stomach go, bleh, 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 and it's kind of fun, and you giggle, and you laugh. You know, you're not going ah, all the way down. So what I strive for, and I tell everybody, it's just like strive to be on the kitty coaster some of the time. And then, you know, you're winning. If you're yeah. on the kitty coaster sometimes, you're winning. It also, it also gets easier, right? Because you start to, you, like you said, you start to expect it to be that that is the normal, that it's going to get crazy sometimes. And when it hits you, it doesn't hit you as hard anymore. It feels like a smaller bump in the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur, and, you know, I told you when I started, like, I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. And so, you know, fast forward to a few years ago, because yes, now I'm a serial entrepreneur. You know, and you think, why the heck would you do this again? <laughs> but, you know, I really, when I decided to launch on the dot, it was really about kind of expanding what we've been doing in Austin globally. And it's the message. I started doing all the research and really looking into what was happening and what was holding women back and looking at all those stats and just trying to understand, you know, what, what was happening. And I thought, well, this is crazy because the number one issue that was holding women back, I mean, we know all of them, lack of access to capital, lack of access to continuing education and networks and, and you know, all of those things. But number one, lack of access to relatable role models. If you can't see it, you can't be it. And I was like, that's just stupid. I meet women all over the world all the time that are absolutely amazing. They are not a lack of role models. The problem is the lack of access, right? And that's really what I set about changing. And then how it's sort of, you know, when you talk about pivoting and morphing and when you try to back into solving a problem, you know, really what I have now on the dot is a software company. And it's a, it's a software platform that is really at its core, built to go into companies all the way up to enterprise and become a place where certainly women, but also other diverse individuals, other remote workers, people who feel disconnected and they're not advancing because they can't find their people to really be able to find those people, to find mentors and for companies to build these inclusive cultures. And so that's really how I'm just, I'm solving the same problem really that I'm solving with Austin woman here in Austin, but just in a different way. Yeah, it's interesting. So one of the one of your quotes that's used in in a lot of your biographies is the quote, I want to brainwash women. And if you think about that, like you might laugh, but that's what you're trying to do. It's not even about brainwashing. It's about convincing women that there are role models out there and that there are people like them that have accomplished more than their and just kind of showing them the way, right? Giving them a path towards getting to the next level. So tell us a little bit more about how On The Dot works. 
So on the dot, we sort of have a couple different iterations of it, but you know, it, as it's core, it's a B2B platform. So it would go into a big company with anywhere from probably 500 to all the way up to 100,000 you know, employees and really come in and be an internal network, an internal place to connect. So when you set up a profile, you actually not only talk about what you do for a living, all those things are important and your skill sets, but you also talk about what are your personal interests? Because what we know is that the people that you actually end up doing business with at work, right, end up building networks, it's because you both have five-year-olds and and you somehow ran into each other, you know, at the kindergarten or at the whatever. I mean, it, it's that's why people, people connect on a personal level. Yeah. And I think that companies often miss that. They say, oh, let's match people with mentors because of this. And they, try, they match them for the wrong reason. So we're really trying to give people a way to connect on multiple different levels. So you fill out your profile. You can actually search for mentorship on the platform or you can find people to help mentor you on certain skill sets that you need to advance. And you can really find people you should meet. So it kind of has like a professional match.com where it matches you with people that are like you. Again, that same see it to be it. So if you are sitting in your cubicle and you look right and you look left and you don't see anybody that looks like you, you can go on the platform and you can find people that look like you and you're like, wow, this person is, you know, an executive director and they're in this. I'm going to message them because I want to get there. It's really about building those important networks yeah. that you need. And feeling connected to people at different levels in the organization. That's right. you, um, you triggered a memory for me. My last corporate job was 15 years ago. So it's been a while now. But in that job, I actually started a Wine Wednesdays group with some other wine aficionados or, you know, people that were just interested in wine. And we'd get together in someone's office and it was super informal and we everybody would bring a bottle and those that didn't would bring a glass and we'd share wine and we'd talk and, and it was like completely level independent. Like I was pretty junior in my career at the time and I was hanging out with VPs and, you know, all kinds of people who later on, after I left the company, ended up continuing to be my friends and my mentors and my colleagues, and some of them now work at my company. And it's, um, it, it is crazy how that connection, just from having a common interest or a common challenge, can bring people together. And I think what's super fascinating, especially in this time and with what's happening in 2020, is every company literally has had to figure out how to go virtual okay. and how to continue to stay connected. And at Content Stack, in our core values, we actually say the words distributed yet connected. And that's been there since before, you know, we were forced into this right. because we are a global company. We've got people everywhere, but you know, that's something we've been proactively working towards since the beginning of the company, but now everyone has to do that. And that's the only way to keep people not just feeling like they're a part of something, but like a sense of significance in the way that they do their work and feeling like they have, the ability to connect with others that they need access to in order to do their work. And I'm, I'm excited to see how on the dot might play a role in, in helping that to happen. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's, it's very interesting. What's hot, what we're hearing from, you know, employees within companies right now is they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm on zoom all the time, but just with my team. And that can be the kiss of death because you're not, yes, sure. You could have people on your team that could help, help you move up, but we all know, it's the networks you build outside of your team. So nobody's building those networks. And let me tell you, it's going to start hurting companies too. It's already hurting companies because women aren't advancing. They're not connecting and they're getting the companies are like, well, I look around, I don't see anybody like me, you know, and other diverse individuals are going, I'm out of here. 
So they're already having that attrition of women and, and, you know, other diverse employees, and they're really struggling to keep those. And of course, that's what makes companies creative. That's what makes them profitable, we know now, is having those diverse teams. But if, you don't, if you're not seeing others like you, it's not, you're not motivated to stay. And so now there's a whole other layer on there that even those, the, you know, those, the ERG groups where that's great. If you went to one of those luncheons and you met 30 other people every month, at least you had that. Now you don't even have that. So, and that's what we're really trying to create in an environment where even if you're not in person, you can have that same kind of experience and make sure that you're finding those people. Awesome. So in addition to our love for wine, one of the other things that Melinda and I both share a passion for is leveling the playing field and challenging the status quo. And and that's why I was so excited to have her as a guest today. There's some stats that I consistently look at just to, you know, understand, are we moving the needle? Is the work that we're doing matters? And you mentioned some of them earlier, but it's really about women having access to board positions, having access to finances, potentially being investors themselves. And I look at those stats regularly just to say, are we actually, are we moving the needle? Do we see a difference? Are things changing? And I think you would agree, not fast enough. We see bits and pieces of progress, but there's still a lot of work to do. One of the things I really admire about your approach is allyship and what that means to you. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, thank you. I'd love to talk about that because I think that, you know, we hear the word allyship and immediately the picture in our head that comes to mind is an old white guy <laughs> going to help a woman or some other, you know, individual advance, right? I mean, that's kind of, you know, because that's, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's a lot of great old white guys that you want to be your allies. Don't, don't get me wrong with that. But what I really started exploring was this idea of, of, and, and especially because I'm so deep in the women's space, but women as allies, because when I started doing some of the research and looking into it, you know, when, you know, if there's 10 people in a room and they see one woman at the table, they're like, we got diversity. Like, look, <laughs> look at us. And they don't really see that most of the time it's a white woman who's at the table first. And so if white women don't start understanding that we actually have to be very purposeful about, about bringing women of color forward and helping them advance and and bring them because we are going to get there first. And if we don't, if we're not purposeful, we're going to end up in the exact same situation we're in now. We're just going to have a bunch of white women at the top. And like that, that doesn't help anything. So we can solve this right now. And so really kind of thinking and being very purposeful about that. And I want to just give a quick story of a friend of mine. You talked about women on boards. And, you know, I think that that is, you know, certainly that's starting to change some, which is great. And a lot of it's starting to change because it's it's starting to be mandated. And so they'll slap a woman on the board. Well, guess what? It's a white woman. (laughs) Um, So what I think, you know, again, the same thing. And I have got a friend who is, you know, who's been asked to be on a lot of boards, a lot of very high level. I mean, these are paid positions, et cetera, contracts, yada, yada. And what she started to do is when she gets asked to be on a board, she actually negotiates it in her contract that within one year, they have to bring on another woman or they have to bring on another diverse individual, depending on what the board makeup is. And again, it's doing something where, and then if they're like, no, well, she's like, then you don't get, I mean, she doesn't need to take that board seat, right? But she's doing something very proactive. And I think I always use that example because I think that, that the most important thing is that we're purposeful. We're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to do it right. You know, we're going to, whatever. But I think as long as we're purposeful and thinking about it, 
that's what's going to really create the change because it has to be top of mind all the time. Yeah. And, and I think it's like not, it doesn't necessarily have to be convenient. Right. And I think that's part of the challenge because we talk a lot about changing the makeup or composition of a team or a company or a board. And the excuse has always been, well, we just don't find the candidates. And that's, it's, it may be, it may be partially true. It may be harder to find those people, but being purposeful means intentionally digging into it further, figuring out why those candidates don't look for you and how do you make yourself available to those candidates, right? Yeah. And I think you're, you're starting to open up and unpeel the covers there, which is, which is um, great advice for, for other people in the same position. Right. Okay. So um, I'm going to wrap up with a couple questions and I want us to taste the wine again and wrap up with the wine, but you've got a full plate. You've got a lot going on. You've got the, the magazine you're continuing to support. You've got a new, a new startup that has already pivoted at least once. Uh, so that's awesome. And I think you're going to do great with all of those things, but what's next for you? What do you, what do you dream about beyond this? Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really funny. And I want to, I want to, because people, people have asked me that question. I'm like, you know, I really, and I know this is crazy, but this is also about me being purposeful is that I am very purposeful that like I, someday I do want to retire. Now, maybe I won't ever, but I want to know that I can So I always keep that, like, what do I want my life to be? And I think that's so important for entrepreneurs is because we go, 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 go. And the years just go flicking by. I mean, how the hell did 18 years go by that that I've had this magazine? And and what is that? So I have really been very forward focused, you know, and really looking kind of at that five, seven and 10 year mark. And where do I want to be? And what do I fantasize about? And you know what? When I get there, if I change my mind, great. But (laughs) I'm going to plan my life so I can do those things. So, I, you know, I'm sort of doing a lot of that, of really thinking about, you know, where I want this, you know, to go. I mean, obviously, you know, getting on the dot off the ground and, and really just picking up momentum is super important to me. Uh, you know, it's it's probably in a weird way, you know, I'm so, I, I think in a strange way, I'm more proud of what I've done with on the dot and not because I don't love Austin Woman. It's just that I had some background in that. I am no more like software. If you had told me a year and a half ago, somebody says, oh, so you have a SaaS company. I'm like, sassy? Yeah, I'm sassy. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I had no, I didn't know what the hell SaaS meant, which is software as a service for those of you who don't know. I mean, but I was like, what? Uh, so, but I think that I'm so proud of it because it just goes to show you, like, I can figure this out, you know, and I can work. I found a developer who understands when I say, okay, so Cam, so there's a widget for that, right? And, you know, it's our joke. He's like, yes, yes, Melinda, there's a widget. And I kind of, you know, I have this dream, like, okay, here's how I want people to feel, you know, and then bringing the right people on, you know, Leslie, who works for me, who you've also met, who's fabulous and has such an amazing background and thinks completely differently than, than me, which is really amazing. So it's, it's very exciting and intimidating as hell, right? Mm-hmm. To do and to talk about. I mean, I've talked to you about this. Like, I'm like, hi, I'm software and you're software. So like, uh, <laughs> you know, you're like a real software person. I'm not, you know, but I feel fake sometimes. But, you know, so I think it's really, really just important to sort of for me to tell that story. Because like I said, like, I'm, I'm an English literature major, right? I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, this is... I did- I think it's amazing to see what you've done with, without having that background. And I'm a French major, so 
same boat. I don't have a tech background. I just happen to have access to a lot of smart people, which I think you've done a good job of as well. You know, surround yourself with smart people, make them your partners and your allies, do big things. And one thing I know for sure you're going to do is leave an impact. And you said the word impact a few times throughout this conversation. I'm excited to be a part of your journey and hopefully it can help you with that. But I know that you will leave an impact and that's what will be remembered when you finally get to retire, hang out on a beach, hopefully drinking one of those beautiful skinny margaritas that you make. Yes. Oh, I know. Yummy, yummy. And, and lots of great wine. That, that, yeah. That's the fantasy. So let's have a sip together and just see if we've seen anything change and revisit this beautiful glass. Okay, I'm going to twirl my wine. <laughs> it's opened up nicely. I'm getting some riper fruits, almost like a strawberry jam, which is not that atypical for a Pinot from Carneros. It's delicious. I feel like, I do, I, like I kind of crave food to go in. Like it, like the, you know, just the woodiness of it, you know, but it's still so smooth, you know. Yeah. And the acidity is like a little bit more apparent now. And you can tell like from the salivary gland. So if you, if you take a sip and then you start to feel like the salivation here, yeah. you can tell that's the acidity acting up and, and bringing that part of your mouth to life. <laughs> it's a beautiful wine. Thank you for suggesting. I know Frank family. It's one of my favorites. I was so excited when you suggested it. And now I have a, now I have a new favorite, a new one to buy. <laughs> awesome. Melinda, thank you so much for joining the Dream Makers podcast. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation. And oh, I will look forward to hanging out in person and drinking wine together when things yes. allow. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.